by Kiss on Casablanca Records. The new Kiss album. Music from the elder. Available at Listening Booth. $5.99 on LP and $6.49 on... Kiss album. Music from the elder. World without heroes. The legend of the elder. Conceived, written, and performed by Kiss. On Casablanca Records, the new Kiss album, Music from the Elder, available at Jane Army, Welcome to the I Am Vinyl Podcast. My name is Pete LaRussa, and as you can see by my choice of t-shirt today, we are doing the Kiss Roundtable Discussion, and it is part five, and the album we're going to be discussing is Music from the Elder which towards the end of this year is going to see its 40th anniversary of release as it was originally released on November 10th, 1981 here in the United States. This is also the first roundtable discussion that's going to be posted here on YouTube as the first four parts are available to listen to at cnjradio.com. So if you're not familiar with our podcast and you haven't heard the first four parts, please check us out at cnjradio.com where all four parts are currently posted. And so before I bring in the roundtable, I thought I would just go into a little personal history of the formats that I own of this album, as I do own quite a few copies of this one. I will mention it in the discussion, but this is one of my very favorite Kiss albums of all time. And I'll get into how I first heard the record when we bring in the roundtable. So for now, I'm just going to go into some of the formats that I own and go through a little timeline history and just tell you some of my personal history with this record. So the very first copy of Music from the Elder that I picked up was in 1989 when it was re-released on cassette and eventually on CD. So this is the very first copy that I've ever owned. And then a few years later, I attended Kiss convention in New Jersey with my older brother, who's going to be part of the panel today. And the very first CD that I ever bought, this is before I even owned a CD player. I even have it labeled on the bottom as my first CD purchase. I used a couple of uh, Maxell black tape labels. This is the very first CD that I ever bought, the original CD release of The Elder. Before I get to the vinyl, I just wanted to show another cassette edition that I do own, and it's the original cassette from 1981, right here, given to me by a friend I've mentioned on the podcast plenty of times, Mr. Frank Verderame. He found this copy at a store that used to be open here called Zigzag, which is definitely familiar to everyone that's on the round table discussion today. So that is just something else that I wanted to show. It still plays well from what I remember. It's been a very long time since I played it, but I do remember that it actually still plays pretty well. Let's move on to the vinyl. As far as the vinyl, the very first copy that I ever owned, I think it was probably at the same KISS convention on April 14th, 1991. And this is, you can see, but this is a phonogram pressing. 
So those who are familiar already know this, but those who aren't, Phonogram Pressing has a Casablanca Records and Filmworks label. So I remember being very excited about seeing this and it was only $10 and me being somewhat naive at the time and not really knowing too much about original pressings and uh, immediately spotting a US pressing versus uh, overseas press. My brother was quick to tell me that is not an original copy. So that is why it was only $10. But you know, for somebody like me at that time, who was only 15 years old and getting a weekly allowance and uh, probably got a little advance on that and maybe some birthday money because my birthday was coming up. It was definitely in my budget. So this, this copy was definitely appreciated. And eventually I got around to getting some original US copies. So this is my first one. I don't remember when I got this one, but it is one of the US pressings that has the uh, clear plastic sleeve with the liner notes on it, which kind of shake my head as to why they decided to go with this in the initial run of this album. Although there are paper sleeve versions, which you will see, but this is my first US edition. It's in very good shape as far as the album cover. Plays pretty well from what I remember. I haven't spun this one in a while. I, I do usually spin my best copies. So this next copy is interesting as I picked it up just a few years ago while my brother and I were checking out some record stores in Jersey. We usually go to Princeton Record Exchange and sometimes we'll go driving around and check out some of the other local record shops. And I don't remember which one I picked this one up in, but ended up finding this copy and I probably can't see the label there, but I'm trying to do my best here. It says with press release, if you could see closely, there is a notch on the corner. It's a very good copy, plays really, really well. It also does come in one of these plastic sleeves. This one's in a little bit better shape actually, even despite the notch up there. The inner plastic sleeve is probably in the best condition out of the two US copies that I own. And here is the press release. So it's a two page press release. And uh, try not to handle it too much because I don't want the staple to come out, but pretty nice piece, I would say, if you're a KISS fan and enthusiast to get. And I don't recall how much this was. I don't recall how much my other US copy was either, but I know this one was a little more expensive, probably around 30 to $40, totally worth it. I mean, this thing plays near flawlessly without barely any surface noise or little pops or ticks. This is just a really, really good copy. So right now this is actually my primary play copy. So the last piece that I own on vinyl is the 2014 180 gram edition. I had mentioned that the sleeve variations were different with the original US pressings. There was the clear sleeve as you've seen before, and there were also paper sleeves. So the 2014 edition has thankfully reduplicated the original paper sleeve. Those are 
my current vinyl copies of Music from the Elder. And I say current because I'm sure they're going to release another one at some point. I'm wondering if there's even going to be a colored vinyl edition. And I'm already going to say I'm all over that if that comes out. I obviously am a big fan of the record. And you know, like a lot of people, I've appreciated the record for a long time. I wasn't of the age where it had first come out and I was able to criticize them like a lot of the fans of the day and some of which you'll probably hear in this discussion after I'm done here. So lastly, I'll just show a couple more versions of the album that I have. So I showed the original CD earlier, my very first CD purchase. So of course, in 1997, I picked up a remaster, the US version, and I was shopping around in the city one day and found the Japanese version, which looks like it's in a mini album cover. So I found this probably at Virgin Megastore when that used to be open in Times Square in New York City. So I would say probably like 1999-ish, most likely, since these came out around 97, 98. But really nice, really nice version of the CD, reduplicating the gatefold album cover. So that's going to be it for me with this introduction. Without any further ado, I'm going to bring in the round table. And for the very first time, my older brother Vincent is going to be joining us. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion. And here we go. All right, welcome everybody to the KISS Roundtable discussion, part five, music from the elder. So I'm going to go around really quick and introduce everybody. So joining us for the first time on the roundtable discussion pertaining to KISS, he's been on the show before, is my older brother, Vincent LaRussa. Hey, how are you doing? And as usual, we have Ron Valdez. How's everybody doing? Joe Malazzo. Hi. <laughs> and we have Mike Scandato once again. Hello, everyone. And finally, Tommy Lombardozzi. What's up, folks? Let's get started. I'm going to go over some basic facts about the album, and then we're going to go around and discuss it. So, Music from the Elder was originally released on November 10th, 1981. So at the end of this year, it's going to be celebrating its 40th anniversary. I doubt the band is going to be celebrating in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, fans can celebrate if they want. The peak chart position was number 75 on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart. The sales and certification, there's still none in the U.S. to date, but however, it did go gold in Australia with a whopping 25,000 copies sold. The album was produced by Bob Ezrin. The album cover and design and artwork was by Dennis Wallach, who worked on a bunch of the previous Kiss albums. The album was recorded in Toronto and New York City, partially at Ace Frehley's home studio at the time, Ace in the Hole. Additional musicians and songwriters, Alan Schwartzberg, who plays drums on I, and Lou Reed, is credited as a songwriter on a couple of tracks, A World Without Heroes and Mr. Blackwell. Tony Powers is on keyboards on Odyssey, which he originally wrote and is covered by Kiss on the album. And the instrumental, Escape from the Island, was recorded by Ace Frehley, Eric Carr, and Bob Ezrin, who plays bass on the track. And the official singles released from The Elder 
There are two in the U.S. A World Without Heroes was released on November 17, 1981, followed by a single release of I. Don't have a particular date on that one. And The Oath was released on January 25th, 1982, but in Japan only. And as far as some billboard stats, the single for World Without Heroes peaked at number 56 on the pop singles chart. And in the UK, it peaked at number 55 on the pop singles chart. And the single for I didn't peak anywhere in the US. However, it did chart in Australia and peaking at number 24, in Germany, peaking at number 62, and in the Netherlands, peaking at number 48. Some notable US TV promotional appearances, which some of us may have seen before, and we'll get into that. Solid Gold in 1981, Flo and Eddie also in 1981, America's Top 40 with Casey Kasem in 1981, and Fridays, on January 15th, 1982, and a little cast note for those who don't know, that cast included Larry David and Michael Richards. The videos that were filmed and released for the album were A World Without Heroes and I, which has an original unreleased video, which you can now actually find on YouTube if you search for it, and the commercially released video. And just some additional notes. Songs that were demoed but did not end up on the album include Deadly Weapons, which Gene Simmons recycled later on for the album Asylum in 1985, Nowhere to Run, which was re-recorded for the Killers compilation in 1982 as one of the four new tracks, Feel Like Heaven, which was eventually covered by Peter Chris on his second solo album after leaving Kiss, Let Me Rock You, Heaven, which became Breakout on Ace Frehley's, Frehley's Comet album, the debut album from 1987, and Car Jam 81, At the End of Revenge, from 1992, It's My Life, which was covered by Wendy O. Williams for her debut solo album, Wow, produced by Gene Simmons in 1984, which featured guest appearances by Paul Stanley, Ace Frehley, and Eric Carr, and was also recorded by Kiss during the Psycho Circus recording sessions in 1998, and officially released on the 2001 box set. And a few instrumentals known only by their working titles are Kicks Are For Kids, <laughs> The Difference Between Men and Boys, and oh. Council of the Elder. <laughs> what do you think that difference is? Come on. <laughs> Gross. Only they know, I guess. Pubic hair. Oh. So yeah. <laughs> size, penis size. Like, what's the, you know, the only thing it could be, right? Wieners. <laughs> On that note, let's get to the actual discussion here. So let's go to Ron Valdez. What do you think here? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny I mean listen, I'm not gonna sit here and say I love this record, right? It's not but as far as like let's compare it to Unmasked for a second. It totally blows Unmasked out of the water. Agreed. This record, this record completely blows Unmasked out of the water, and there are a very, there are a few shining moments in this record. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's equally a lot of bad stuff. I could cut the album in half and say, okay, this half is really good, and 
you know, say this album isn't really good. Um, for me, like uh, the oath is is one of the heavier Kiss songs that came out at that moment. The oath is a very, very, very heavy song, and it was good. Like I remember when I was a kid, I had the original vinyl with the original you know song list. And the oath was the first song on the album. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is really good. You know, like I was I was into it, man. And then Fanfare came on. And then Just the Boy came on. And I was like, oh man, you know, like they're really shit in the bed here. And then Dark Light came. Dark Light's a great song too. I'm not mm. gonna lie. Mm. Only You gives me like a feeling of like an old kiss song. You know, like it's got like kind of that gene signature sound which i kind of enjoy under the rose is just not good uh like i said there's a lot of half there's a half and half on this record i was never crazy about odyssey i was never crazy about i i was never crazy about escape from the island mr blackwell is just like gene like i'm still trying to figure i'm i'm to this day i'm still trying to figure out what's the concept okay and you can go online and read what they say the concept is, but that's not the concept. Yeah. The concept is nothing. The concept is Kiss came out with a bunch of songs that they think make sense in their mind together, that it's about a boy that, you know, joins this elite club of the Rose and, ooh, and now he's going to fight for, what is he fighting for? <laughs> Who is he fighting against? Who is he fighting? <laughs> what is the Rose? Yeah, like nobody knows any concept there's no concept to this record the only concept is that you know there's a wooden door with a big knocker on it you know and 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 people are trying to figure out what it all means i think that if they took their time and maybe entered wrote a little bit extra i know that there was also spoken word pieces that were supposed to yeah. intertwine the songs into each other why those were done away with i have no idea maybe they were too long i don't know why they were done away with but that, i think that would have tied the story together a lot better and would have brought the songs together better and maybe the concept would be there that we'd see a concept i really don't see a concept with this record i'm not going to say it's a bad record though because it's not unmasked is a bad fucking record this record is a for it's it's not what they needed at the time they should have come out with creatures before this they should have done Creatures, which would have brought them back into that rut. Because they promised their fans that mm -hmm. after this, you know, before this record came out, they were like, okay, we've done the pop record. Now we're going to come back and we're going to rip your face off. And they came out with this. If they would have come out with Unmasked, I mean, sorry, if they would have come out with Creatures of the Night, people would have been like, whoa, my God, Kiss is back. And we would have allowed this travesty. Not travesty. We would have allowed this uh, concept record. Experiment. Exper right, we would have let them experiment. We would have been like, hey, these songs are pretty hard rocking, you know? But coming off of Unmasked, it just wasn't the right move for them. I mean, that's pretty obvious, you know, if you look at sales and everything else. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a bad record because it's not. It has, if in the grand scheme of Kissed records, they're a lot worse than this, <laughs> and there's a hell of a lot better than this. But... Um, there are a lot of shining moments on this record that I can't deny. I can't deny, but it was just bad timing as far as, I, I feel it was bad timing and bad planning. I mean, that's pretty much my my encapsulation of this record. I, I mean, listen, I was the first kid that ranted at the store and bought it 
Like when any, all my friends that were Kiss fans back in 81 gave up. They were like, ah, massive shit. And I was like, yeah, I know, but this is something, you know, there's going to be a concept, guys. There really wasn't a concept, but whatever. It was the Oath, man. The Oath is is still one of the greatest kickoff songs in Kiss's history, as far as far as I'm concerned. It's right up there with Detroit Rock City, as far as like getting getting you ready to hear something good, but then just kind of falls flat. And it's not the opening track anymore. So it, you, right, exactly. It's and like they, the one right. good thing about it they took away. You know? Right, the one right, and then they start with fanfare. That's ridiculous. Ugh, it's to just a boy. Woo, it's the worst. Woo. I mean, to, 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 can I jump in here, Pete? Is that all right? You're in go ahead. I was actually... I mean, I'm done. I'm pretty much set all I had to say. Well, because I wanted to say, you know, build on what you were saying about the concept thing. Like, it's known that they kind of abandoned the concept idea, like, midway into the recording. I mean, that's what I've read and heard anyway. And so, and that makes sense if you listen to the album as a concept album, quote unquote, it's not one like you like you're saying it's it's kind of like sergeant pepper you know they they started with this idea that it was going to be a concept album and after the first two songs they're like ah fuck it you know and then it that <laughs> never came back and i think that's the same with this and i think that's why they even changed the name why it's called quote unquote music from the elder like it was like an idea that they never actually finished well i would say to what Ron was saying earlier about the spoken word pieces that were recorded, if anything, if they did yeah. stray from the concept a little bit musically, as far as the songs itself and the lyrics, they might have been relying on those spoken word pieces yeah. to tie everything together. Of course. <laughs> and probably for, you know, just trying to keep the album within a certain time for vinyl releases and everything else, they probably decided to scrap all those spoken yeah. word pieces. And, and, and in the big picture, if they did scrap them for time, then thank God they scrapped them. Because a, sp a spoken piece between songs shouldn't be more than a minute or two. Yeah. If they went, if they went, I mean, not even thirty seconds to a minute. If they went longer than, if, if imagine Gene Simmons like talking with his sexy voice for like two minutes between "Just a Boy" and "Dark Light," I think I'd lose my mind. Like, yeah, but like, the people the fucking music already. The spoken word stuff that's on this, you know, the few bits that there are aren't the guys in the band. It's like these actors right. yeah. and it's terrible like it's the worst <laughs> one of them sounds like gene towards the end i think you think so, yeah yeah it might be him Put, putting Save on money, a stupid you know? british accent <laughs> just it's like that's to me the stuff that that makes the album not good you know i think you know oddly enough i'm gonna say that the best songs on this album are the gene songs and you never would never hear that come out of my mouth you know but the songs that he does on this, you know, the ones that he kicks off and leads are the best ones. The, the Paul stuff, specifically the stuff that should have been, I guess, the part of the concept, it's just it's junk. The boy, you know, I'm just a boy, whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> oh, it's it's embarrassing. You know, it's embarrassing. And it's pompous. Like, it's not even like if they were going for a concept album, they were trying to do something different and they were doing something weird, then it's like, like all right, you know, they're doing something kind of crazy. I don't necessarily like it, but the shit that they decided to do was super corny, like really fucking like Lord of the Rings crap, you know, but not cool, you know, not cool Zeppelin Lord of the Rings, you know, fucking shitty early eighties crap, you know? One of, one of the things I want to, something to Ron said, it's something to your side. You got, you know, 
it's easy to look back on something and to criticize something because, and I'm not, I don't work for Kiss and I'm not uh, representing them to be their lawyers in this, but what I'm going to say is it's, it's very easy now to play armchair quarterback and say they should have done this. You've got to remember, from everyone who I've talked to, friends who were maybe a bit older, when they started going to see them at Dynasty, on the Dynasty tour and Unmasked tour, they were starting to get embarrassed because of all the little kids and stuff yeah. like that and, and didn't feel like that band when you watch them at Winterland, you know, from the black and white footage. This, I mean, that's not that further, much farther ahead from 75 to 79 where yeah. Kiss really changed drastically with the, with the ridiculous costumes and all that stuff. So I think Kiss was like, all right, we got to try to, like, be serious and... We want, to, we want to show that we're more sophisticated. We're not just a kid band, and we're not a comic strip on an album and whatever. We're not even going to be our pictures on the album. It's going to be this freaking hand or whatever it is going to be. So I think this, again, a lot of discussion. And to what Ron said about the creatures thing, you know, my, my opinion on that is I, I think you're spot on with that. But remember one thing, that I don't think they were ready for creatures because they didn't have Vinnie Vincent yet. Now, I know you can say whatever you want about Vinnie Vincent, but I know for a fact... And my brother knows this too. I've heard a lot of the de the the, uh, the writing sessions from that from that record where Vinny was really involved in that record, and a lot of the writing. So you know you know that whole debate where and this is not about Creatures of Night, but did Vinny Vincent save Kiss? You know you could go back and forth on that. But let me just tell you from everything I heard, I mean he was a huge part of that record and making that record great. So mm -hmm. I don't know if they would have been able to come out with a Creatures of Night if Ace didn't leave and they got Vinny on board, you know? So that being said, you know, again, to what you were saying, Tommy, uh, some of the songs on that record, like, uh, which wasn't written by Kiss, like Odyssey and stuff like that, I really like. And what I really like about it, it's the same thing for people who don't like Carnival of Souls. It's that Paul is singing differently. It's like what you're not accustomed to hear him doing. We know how he can sing on Love Gun and Detroit Rock City. But for me, over time, I've grown, not that I'm saying it's one of my favorite songs, I'm not saying that at all, but I learned to enjoy it in the perspective of this is a different thing that you're hearing out of this band, you know, and it's something that, you know, again, it's not a masterpiece by any means, but I've actually grown over the years to really appreciate a lot of, a lot of the songs on that record that I used to honestly laugh at when I was a kid, you know, and says, what the fuck is this? You and know? that's legitimate. And, and you should be able to say like, oh, these guys are doing something different. And like I said, if, if you don't like it, that's, it's a different point, but to respect and appreciate the fact that they're trying something is what you, how you should feel as a fan. Right. Yeah. But I just don't think there are certain songs in here, like those specific songs that, that we're talking about that are just, just not good. You know, like there, yeah. there, there's, there's a difference between trying to reach out of your comfort zone to try to do something different as an artist and trying to like force it. And I feel yeah. like with those, those opening songs on this album specifically, it's yeah. very forced and it just seems unnatural. It doesn't well, seem like it, it just seems off, you know, and I could I, appreciate the difference, you know, the fact that they're trying to do something different. I don't mind fucking strings and shit like that. I love that shit on, on, different things on this to me it just does, does yeah. quite, if i could interject for yes. a second too uh <laughs> vinnie you mentioned uh you know vinnie was a big part of creatures you're right he was yeah. but um you know ace i heard a bunch of ace demos for this record too and mm -hmm. they were rocking mm -hmm, and yeah. from what i understand ace you know after peter left ace only had one quarter of the votes yeah. you know and when gene and paul you know, and you know Gene and Paul. I mean, we all we're all Kiss fans. We know how it rolls. 
Ace probably came to them with those demos and was yeah. like, look, man, we could put out a hard rocking record. And it was two to one, you know? You know, the only guy that Ace had on his side was Bob Ezrin. And that's even if, you know, Bob Ezrin wasn't getting his paycheck from Ace, he was getting it from the corp, you yeah. know? So I'm sure that, you know, I, I think that they, if they would have just let Ace take the reins on this one, like he kind of did on Dynasty in a way, they would have had a more hard rocking record. But mm-hmm. it just yeah, didn't work out I, that way, but we what the things that we don't know is you know the, a lot of the day to day things that we don't have to go into Ace's issues and all this stuff. So maybe just Kiss had a kind of they were just tired in the sense Done with of the him. whole Ace thing, you yeah. know, and and we don't really know. I mean, unless you guys know more than me about the the whole Bob Ezrin, it, it reminds me of the if you guys have seen and you should see it, the Aerosmith making of Pump, and where they they got all the songs on the board and and who's the producer? I forgot his name. And they're talking about what songs they think is good, what songs they think is, you know, the producer really has a lot to say in any record that comes out. And we know Bob was not one of those kind of laid back guys. We know what he did with Destroyer. Uh, They called him, what they call him, the Taskmaster or whatever they called him. (laughs) You know, I I remember when I met Peter Chris and I asked him about a couple of tunes on that record. Mm -hmm. And because I really wanted to know, like, how he came up to the drum groove uh, for Detroit Rock City and stuff like that. And he told me how Bob, you know, worked him and really worked him like he had never been worked before until he had it like perfected. So again, I don't know how much Bob had to do in weighing what songs would make it, the theme and this and that, but I got to figure he probably waited. Unless you know something to which he was siding with Ace, but I, I had never heard that before, but that's interesting. No, I, I, I heard an interview with him talking about it and he was, he, he was very disappointed with this record as well when, mm. when it was being recorded. He was not a happy camper. And I just threw him into the mix as far as like the KISS voting, you know? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, when, when you had Gene, Paul, Peter, and Ace, they each had a quarter say. And right. of course, Ace and Peter would side, you know, together and Gene and Paul would side together. And then Ezrin would come in and kind of make the decision uh, yeah. to split yeah. the vote, you know? Right. I hear what you're saying about Ace, you know, and his problems, you know, and like, <laughs> you, you know, he likes his drugs, which Rockstar doesn't. Likes his drugs. But, um, (laughs) but, but I think that I really do think that Ace (laughs) was forced out of the band. I really do. I'm, I'm one of those. I'm in that camp that Ace was just forced out. That Gene and Paul wouldn't let him do anything. Gene and Paul wouldn't let him have any say. So you know, listen, it's time to move on. You know, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the thing. All right, let's go to Mike. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on music? Hello, everyone. I mean, I definitely would go on record as saying that I do like this record quite a bit, even though it's controversial. It is the third part in the in the controversial three, being Dynasty, Unmasked, and of course this one. And it is definitely a better record than Unmasked. I like about five songs off this record. And if you like five songs off a 10 or 11 song record, then it's a good record. Is that fair to, fair to say? Yeah, um, I like half of it. <laughs> yeah, I like half the record exactly. But I, my question is, well, I might as well say the songs I like. I like Under the Rose a lot, actually, and I think I started to like it about six, seven years ago. My friend's uh, black metal band, Black Anvil, they're from New York. They covered it as a bonus track yeah. on one of their records, and it made me reassess the song because they did it. They did a really good job on it. Um, and I knew and you I were love the old. What's that? And I knew you were going to mention that because I was. If oh, you were yeah. going to mention it, I was going to mention it because I love Black Anvil's version of that song. 
Oh, yeah, it's really good. The Oath is great. It's like power metal, epic metal before power metal exists, you know? It's kind of like a very kind of shocking song from Kiss in a way. I actually love I. I is the hidden straight-edge posicore anthem of Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the lyrics, it sounds like, you know, a Seven Seconds or a Youth of Today song. Um, <laughs> it's not even hidden, the message, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's not <laughs> hidden. No, it's pretty blatant. Hey and guys, I love- do drugs. I love World Without Heroes. Love it. Thank great, you. Song. great song. Great song. Um, great song. But my question is, say if, say if Dynasty is the, quote, disco-informed record, and Unmasked is the failed pop, power pop-informed record, what do you think, or have they ever actually said what inspired this direction on this particular record? Like, what, what inspired this? Like, what were they going for? What were they emulating? King Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like that was was it Iron Maiden? I mean, I don't think so. No, I, mean, no, I, like... I mean, really, the the general consensus is, you know, they wanted to work with Bob Ezrin again, or they agreed to work with Bob Ezrin again. Bob Ezrin had just come off the wall by Pink Floyd two yes. years before. Yes. So I think Kiss wanted a little piece of that concept album uh -huh. notoriety, if anything. Right. Yeah. They wanted like a wall rub, so to speak, but they did not get a wall rub. It no. just, it's just not the wall. Right. I mean, God, right. I mean. Right. They wanted right. Dark Side of the Moon, you know, like uh, and, and, you know, they I wanted think, that kind of record, I think. I think Gene had this very thin, like chosen, chosen one, just like mystical. I think he just saw Dungeons and the, a chosen one. His people in Men in robe, you know, <laughs> like people in robes and a secret society. I think he had this little thin comic book like hmm. Dungeons and Dragons type concept and he and he was like let's work this up into something but it never really took it any did, like, real yeah. shape you know it's kind hey, of but like I give kids. them credit for the attempt I give them credit for the attempt poor Eric Carr has to step into this you know what I'm yeah, saying yeah. Um, you know but he's great on this record and I feel like Kiss had to go through those three very awkward records in order to get where they got on Creatures of the Night which is like that ass kicking record you know what i'm saying and i guess you know I, i'm not as old as you ron but i mean you're not even as old as say certain kiss fans who were like really in the thick of it that had to live through dynasty unmasked and this record say in their mid-20s you know what i'm saying oh like, yeah yeah that yeah, must, yeah. No, must have been totally. a very trying time for kiss fans <laughs> i think a lot of those guys gave up at that point maybe yeah. Were there Kiss yeah. fans in their mid-20s back then? Or were they... I was thought yeah, they were they, strictly like a teenager band. Right, I thought they had uh, given up by then. I figured that, like, whoever was a teenager, like, because I, I was a young, young kid when the first album came out. If you were right. a teenager when the first album came out, you were done with Kiss by Dynasty or Unmasked. That's fair to say. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Pete, so it's like, wonder... who was the audience, though? I wonder who the audience was. I wonder who it was. was. It I, don't it was... <laughs> I don't think it was... I don't think it was... It wasn't... <laughs> Then were you going to ask me something? Yeah, Pete, you remember there was certain somebody on her block? Rob, you remember, Lyota. Remember, he, I remember him telling me he was a little older than me. When he went to the store to buy the record and he saw a comic book on the thing, he's like, all right, I'm done. Like, he didn't even listen to the record. He just saw the imagery <laughs> of the record and he was out, you know? And so if, if that was, what, 80? So if I was 10, he was Which is strange because there were a lot of albums that had that kind of comic strip exactly. cover. Yeah. That's not something that's but synonymous. I, I, I think being childish, you know. Right. I think what it also was again. I think he had gone to 
you know, again, the Dynasty tour, and this is only one person, but a bunch of little kids. And I was just with a friend on Friday, and he said, he goes, you don't understand what it was like to be a Kiss fan, how you had to defend Kiss. And when they started coming out with these <laughs> uh, the abuse I used to get in school, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, true. they would say something. I mean, did my you constantly hear Eddie Trunk talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, name the less, you know, Led Zeppelin discos. Oh, that's right. There isn't one. You know, like something like that. They would they would abuse them about like stuff like that. You know, the whole Led Zeppelin thing. And even though a lot of people think, what, in through the outdoor or whatever, or was that the record where a lot of people like, eh, you know what I mean? That's when they were starting to lose it. Fool in the rain. Fool in the rain. Right. It's interesting, though, because yeah. by 81, what's around the corner in America? The American heavy metal like explosion, like Quiet Riot is on the way a year or so later. Like Rat and Motley Crue, Maiden, Maiden blows up in America around this time, Uh, and then it's so Kiss. It's funny, like I don't know. I feel like all this iffy shit had to happen in order for what came next. (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's 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 good that I'm glad that you said that, Michael, because my same friend said when on the on the Dynasty store, Priest opened, and he was like, "Oh shit, this this band's hungry." And you know, then Kiss comes out, even though he enjoyed the show. But it was like, after Priest, he was like, now you start seeing, like this, mm. you know, Priest was like Kiss in '75. Yeah, you saw this, you know. So it was, it was kind of like a, a, a different where he he started to feel like, all right, there's going to be a shift, something's going to happen. But he didn't really know at the time. Your friend is lucky. I was at the Dynasty store. I didn't see Judas Priest. I saw like. <laughs> I saw like New, New England. England or the New England, yeah, yeah, New England. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. This is why earlier I called it an experiment because I yeah. feel like it, they kind of needed to get it out of the system. I also don't think that Kiss was the kind of band that had the cleverness, is that a word, to pull off a concept album. Like no. they're, not, they're not a heady band like fucking Pink Floyd. You know? They don't have the brains of Roger Waters. That's basically yeah, like, what it is. Exactly. No, like, that, you know what I mean? Paul Stanley seems like a, a goofball, you know, like as much as we like his, his voice and the songs and whatever to do something like this, exactly what came out is what you would expect to come out. And it's not very good, <laughs> you know? And I think as a unit, especially, it's basically just him and Gene, like Ron pointed out earlier. So it's like, what are you really going to get? It's not going to be the concept that it could have been, you know? And if, if Ace had taken over and said, let's do a, this heavy rock concept, Maybe that would have been more successful, but it would have never happened because somebody said earlier that he's he's getting pushed out at this point. You know, he's well, not Mike, long for the world. I, I that refer world. to them as the controversial three, the the three yeah. records, but they're also the the band has fallen apart three records. Yes, of course. Yeah. That, right. That's also really what they are. And right in now. a way, it's kind of like I, I, the forgotten three. In a way, I mean, or unmasked is like to me is like the forgotten Kiss record. Yeah. You know. Mm, yeah. Like, like you, you tell me to list every Kiss record. I'll just skip it, like not even on purpose. Like I'll just be like, oh yeah, it doesn't even exist, you know. See, even- I kind of like that record, so it's like you know, for for Ooh. other reasons, you know what I mean. And, <laughs> oh, what's yeah, the, yeah, what is the not what's the non makeup equivalent of unmasked? Real quick. Oh, uh, crazy, crazy nights. Ah, I I, I would have thought you said that. Yes. <laughs> Although I don't think well, I don't think hot in the, the shade. shade. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think hot in the shade has aged very well. I yeah, think no, hot in the shade. Yeah, 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 they might be right. Hot in the shade might be the uh, yeah the bad. Crazy Nights is not a great record, but it's fun for the time. You know, yeah, Hot in the Shade did not did not age well. No, no. What I was gonna say to the panel was, does everybody feel that this record has aged better than when it first came yes. out? Like, yes. Yes. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, so 100%. I mean that's that's a I mean that's a positive thing. I don't have that that experience 
you know, as being disappointed by it when I was young. You know, I kind of yeah. listened to everything all at once. And, um, and I've listened to this album straight through maybe like three times. I've heard the song separately on, on Pot of Thunder, that podcast, but listened to it straight through three times. It's not terrible. You know, they're like they're, the things that are terrible about it, I already mentioned. But I like the, the fucking Ace songs. I like the Gene songs. And I is, is pretty good. You know, like that's my like assessment of it. You don't like the oath? Yeah, the oath is okay. Yeah, I do. I do like the oath. Yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot about the oath. The but like, fuck The thing what? about this record, the things that's real, the the songs that are good are really good. They're you know, good, yeah, like, yeah. Like World Without Heroes, it's like, ah, eh, it's like it's a good song. It's really good. The oath yeah. is really good. You know what I mean? There's like songs that are really strong on any other record. You would have been like, wow. It's, it's strange to me that like it's amongst the the worst albums of all time because it's not that at all. You know, like no, it makes not. those lists. Yeah, that's stupid. That's somebody who just said, "Oh, I heard that that's the such a, such a terrible album. Let me put it on the list." It's like obviously you're not, you didn't really give it a chance. You didn't, you're not right. listening to. You it. just want to grab that guy by the collar and say, "Did you ever listen to Unmasked?" Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, well, last night, uh, last night I was watching all the TV clips from this, uh, ep, you know, this record, and the the YouTube comments are like, people like loved like i don't know i guess look if you're making youtube comments on kiss songs you're probably a pretty big kiss fan mm -hmm. but there was also a lot of comments from people saying this is my first time hearing world without heroes i love this song there's a lot of that which is interesting and all uh, people hearing i like they're like this is such a cool song i've never heard this song, this kiss song before so sometimes that's very telling too of what people think about a record like right now who don't have the to, connection to it Right, they have no connection yeah. at all. Yeah. It's like a 17-year-old somewhere, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, you know, for somebody to say like it's, oh, it's the, one of the worst albums ever made, that's, I know a lot more albums that are worse than this one, you know? But I want to say is you fast forward five more years, you have Asylum. I mean, other than Tears of Falling, Who <laughs> Wants to Be Lonely, and King of the Mountain, I mean, that record is not a great record. I mean, in my it's opinion, not top you notch. Know, yeah, it's, it's right. got some records shit with on two good songs or three good no songs. Animal not yeah. the yeah. records with five. Yeah, good songs. some yes. of those records. Yeah, attached to it is the idea that when it came out, people didn't like it, and that ne it never shook that. Right. To this exactly. day. So that's why it makes those fucking lists and shit. You know, it. It's, and even it's the band. Not... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they They're fucking idiots. For years, I've seen they shit all over it. Yeah. Where they do those, you know, those cruise shows where they say, oh, yeah. "What do you want to hear?" And somebody will be like screaming out the songs, and they won't even like, really acknowledge it. They just, they just don't want to talk about that. They did the unplugged. They did World Without Heroes on unplugged, yeah. which they was did the oath too. Great. They did on the unplugged? oath on two cruises. No, two uh, cruises. They did yeah, the they oath. Did. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a good point because until MTV unplugged. How many people were really talking about a world without heroes? Yeah. Not yeah. that Nobody. many. Right. It was only up until then. It was really like, yeah, yeah. Lou Reed wrote the first the first world without heroes is, a, is like a world without sun. That's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then after oh. that, it was whatever. What did he just write that on a piece of paper and give it to Gene? Here, use this. <laughs> he, I, I, he said it to him at a party. He said yeah. it to him at a party. Hey, Gene. You know, Gene? Like I think there's another. Sun, I'm at it. <laughs> All right, have a good time. I'm going to go do drugs <laughs> I think um, <laughs> got to here's, that here's a line from a song. I'm gonna go do a couple of lines of heroin. And say, then he wrote, and then they wrote I because of that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I got um, my guy downstairs. I think uh, Lou Reed has a couple of credits on this album, right? It's not just the one song. Does he? I think uh, it's like two or three. World Without Heroes and Mr. Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell. Oh boy. <laughs> has <laughs> a, a couple of really corny lines of lyric. 
but it's a really good song. Gene sings it excellently. I am a fighter who just loves to win. They, they play it. I mean, it, it sounds great. But going, lyrics, you know. Going back to my that, original yeah. thing, right? Going back to my original thing about this record, right? Blackwell. What, who is Mr. Blackwell? <laughs> How, why is there a Mr. Blackwell? Isn't that in the guy that was like a fashion? Like the a... rose. There's like this rose in the Lord of the Rings and swords. All right. Hey, hey, there's Mr. Blackwell from my uh, English class. It's, like, it's the, the wackest song on the record. I'm sorry. It's, yeah? it's, the, it's the worst song on the record. Really? <laughs> for me. For me. That's my worst song. Blackwell. Blackwell's the worst song. I thought Mr. Blackwell was like a guy that used to critique uh, like fashion. Wasn't he like it a was, it was. pseudo Mr. celebrity guy? You talk like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, he was like a gay Black icon. Black. Look at this guy's I, But is that what the song is about, though? No, <laughs> yeah, it could is be. That, is that what the song is Possibly, I don't know. It could be. That'd be pretty great if it was. <laughs> he made fun of my jeans one day. I'm going to oh, write a song about him. The, you know what? If the... that is, in fact, what the song is about, then... New uh, appreciation? Then bravo to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. Blackwell was the accountant for the uh, Order of the Rose. <laughs> oh, and here is Lord this and Junior this and oh, there's Mr. Blackwell. I need receipts, guys. Come on, you can't. <laughs> you can't just buy swords and not bring me receipts. Joe Malazzo, what are your personal thoughts and some favorite tracks? Uh, least favorite track on music from the Elder, and then we'll go to my brother. Well, I have like a kind of a funny history with this record because I've heard it many, many, many times but not of my own volition. I had a I had a roommate, my buddy Anthony Navarro. He loved the record and he would always be blasting it. Big shout out like to Anthony Navarro. Wow. <laughs> Con he'd constantly be blasting it and I had no choice but to hear it, you know. But brother, as a kid, you didn't listen to it? No, I never, this is like this one kind of like, I never bought it, it didn't okay. get my radar until, you know, much later. Okay. And, and then uh, just through osmosis, just listening to it so many times, you know, through his wall, <laughs> you know, I, it kind of got into me. And, and, you know, when I first heard it, I was definitely confused by it because uh, I did hear it before that. And I kind of was like, I gave it two listens. I was like, ah, this isn't for me. OK, so you had heard it before him. Yeah. But right, like right. through, you know, when I was living with him, I heard it so many times. I just absorbed it. And, and I, I do think it's a good record. And. Basically, I think it's almost like to appreciate this record, you have to forget Kiss as you know them. You have to pretend you found this in a bargain bin. You don't know anything about Rock and Roll and Night or Detroit Rock City. Accept it for just what it is. This new band, they put this out. And on that, by that criteria, by, you know, if you're just going to allow yourself to be surprised by something new, I would say this is a, you know, a really good record. You know, if I would just stumble upon this and say, this is some unknown band, I'd be like, this is really interesting. You know, there's a lot of good ideas here. Are there some corny things? Yes. And kind of like what uh, Tommy was saying, I think this is one of the rare occasions where Gene shines much brighter than Paul on a record. I think his vocals are really good on this on this album pretty much all the songs gene does i like a lot including mr blackwell i think that's well thank like, you that's kind of a song that uh it's kind of like the demon character kind of like appears a little bit 
you know, like you could kind of, it's almost like God of Thunderish and the bass tone, you know, it's really distorted. I love those little like delay pick slides he does in the verse lines, you know. That's yeah, cool. Is that what that is? I was always wondering what the hell yeah. that was. His character, you know, and that you could give it a lot of points just for that. I think Paul, yeah, once again, to what Tommy was saying, Paul is, he's in a li little bit over his head here. I think he, he's, He's doing the best he can. The falsetto thing that he's doing a lot of, eh, you know, I could deal with it, but I don't love it. It's stretching my patience, you know, a little bit. <laughs> just, what you, <laughs> but, just what you want in a record, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I could, you know, it's just just barely making where I don't, it's not annoying the shit out of me. So it's like, I, I think it's a good record. I think it's a good record. and and. Like they've said, they, they kind of, it's almost like Sane Anger was to Metallica. Like they had to like go over this crazy hump of a record to get to the next one, which kind of set them back on a course, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, those are my general thoughts, uh, you know, to start off. What's your favorite song? Oh, my yeah. favorite song? I think it's Only You. I think uh, there's some hints to where uh, it's kind of like a War Machine type uh, mm -hmm. guitar riff in there. You kind of hear some hints to like stuff th that would pop up on Creatures of the Night. I think the Oath kind of has that as well. You can start hearing the hints of like what a heavier Kiss record might have been like, you know. And there's actually a lot of heavy stuff here. Like also like what Mike was saying, I'm definitely getting that like power metal, you know. Mm -hmm. there's, yeah. there's that Dungeons and Dragon-y type yeah. feel to it, even though it's not about that. And lyrically so it's heavy you know uh, as far as the uh, those choral parts i find them to be very striking and, and uh, like dark in spots you know so i would say only you is my favorite what would be your least favorite track i think odyssey i think that song is straying into like uh like an elton john type area i don't know that's the best analogy i could come up with when i was listening to it it's kind of has this like Broadway-ish type. Oh yeah. I don't know. It just sound, it sound, when I, I looked at the I, I looked at the writing credits today when I saw it wasn't a Paul Stanley song that some other dude wrote it. I I was not surprised because it kind of didn't sound didn't sound like a Paul Stanley song. It sounded like an outside contributor. And I think Paul's like he's going really low on that song. He's doing stuff with his voice. Like he goes really awkwardly high with the falsetto on this record. And he goes weirdly low, and he's and he's like he's like scraping the bat the the bottom of the, the barrel of his uh vocal his register. Balls. <laughs> That's those are the the characters, right? The characters of this play, quote unquote. That's why he's doing the different voices. I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's almost like a precursor to him eventually doing Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, totally. Uh, he's, he's definitely one hundred percent. One hundred. Definitely not proud of his vocal performance on that song. The original version of Odyssey by Tony Powers is actually out there on YouTube if you want to hear it. And when you hear it, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, it's like you said, you crap. You, you know immediately it's not a Kiss song and it really yeah. probably wasn't ever intended to be recorded by a, a rock and roll band, but you know, they went for it, you know, to to a fault if anything, I guess we could all agree. <laughs> I'm going to go now to my my brother Vincent and I wanted to ask you because you know, you had given me your Kiss vinyl collection by that point, by the time this album was released, you know, you were almost heading into your teen years. So you have that perspective that a lot of people have back then that were really into Kiss before you turned 10 or 11 years old. 
And then you slowly started to lose interest in Kiss. And I know a few years later, you started to get into them again with Creatures of the Night, into Lick It Up, into Animalize. And then you eventually got a copy of Music from the Elder from one of our friends and neighbors. So why don't you get into some of that now and just tell us, you know, what your perspective was back then and then getting back into them and eventually getting the album. Because when you got that copy of Music from the Elder, you then copied it for me on a 60-minute tape. And then that's how I heard it for the first time, which was probably around 1980. It was probably around 1988-89 that you had made that tape for me. So uh-huh. go, in, go into some of that as far as, you know, if you recall what you remember about when the album was released. Did you have any interest at all? Or were you just done by that point and you had moved on to other musical interests as as a music fan even at such a young age unmasked i was still kind of in they i remember one of our cousins got the shandy 45 and i ended up with that yeah you ended up with that and you still have it no i'm surprised but um but what i think what happened was then like by that time like 82 ish 81 82 the police were getting bigger and I started getting into that kind of stuff like of that. I don't want to say pop, but, you know, I also bought some of those, you know, pop records like I had to have the Denise William. Let's hear it for the boy record. Forty five, which. <laughs> yeah, I know. So uh, maybe I should maybe I should be on this panel talking about a kiss record. But anyways, I, you know, my brother remembers those moments when he would have to hear that from the basement. Anyways, <laughs> it was the big, you know, the MTV thing that was going on. So all the songs that we used to watch Friday night videos and, you know, I, I remember then finally seeing Kiss. I heard Kiss was going to be on the and they and they uh, had I think Lick It Up was the first video or was it All Hell's Breaking Loose? I can't remember which Lick one. Lick It Up. Lick It Up, right? As you said, the the copy that wound up being mine, and I was just like, what the hell is this? I I just right from the beginning, like I'm listening to Ghost in the Machine, right, from the Police, and this was something that I didn't even want, you know, just didn't resonate with me at all. I was too, like most people, just very confused on what the hell it was, hearing these voices that I, I don't remember Kiss sounding like and songs. That, and I love The Wall. Pete can tell you, we grew up, I mean, that record was on a zillion times in our Hippies. house. And, you know, so, you know, we, we heard that a zillion times. But it just didn't resonate with me, the record. It wasn't until maybe a couple of years later where I got back on, around Lick It Up where I got back on the Kiss train. Even though we, I had known about Creatures of the Night, I've known about these records, but for some reason... They just kind of flew off my radar for two or three years. But what wound up happening was more and more when I, in, in the mid to late 80s, when I wanted to really get all those original Kiss records, Pete remembers I used to take trips into the village, it's only rock and roll, and look for these original copies of Love Gun and this and that because you wanted to have all the stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I really got a renewed interest for them. And, and then it was like finding the elder was always hard, you know? It's like, it was, it was, I think it was out of print by then. Yeah. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get it. And I was lucky enough for one of my friends to, to, to give me a copy, right? Is that what happened, Pete? I got yeah. going from, yeah. Finally, and I think that's the one I have here. But as far as, you know, like, oh, one of the things I want to say before I say favorite song, something that should be mentioned, because, you know, I think there's a lot about what we're saying about Paul, but I think the guitar solo that Paul Stanley does on A World Without Heroes, I think is, is one of, you know, I mean, it's not a fast, fast but melodic? Nice, no, I, yeah. I don't know if a lot of people give credit to that, but that is an awesome guitar solo that he played on that song. So I just want to give him props for that. But again, from a moment from when I really attached myself to the record, the, the Oath, I, I think it was great then, and I still think it's great today. So 
probably still going to be my favorite on the record. I do kind of like Odyssey, ironic. I think I'm the only one here, even though it's not a Kiss song or written by Kiss. There's just something about it. I don't know, maybe because I am a big, somebody said Elton John. I'm a huge, like, Billy Joel, Elton John, Paul Simon, that kind of era of music. So maybe there's something that resonates with me with that tune. My least favorite, I don't know, I just was never able to really get past the Under the Rose chorus to me. It was just too over the top. And I don't know, it was just just never really resonated with me. But again, I, I, to who said was like, I think it was, was it you, Ron, that you liked half the record? Yeah, half the record, yeah, yeah. I would say. About half yeah. the record's good. I feel the same way. I think it's a good record, you know, overall. And as, as I said earlier about my Asylum comparison, you know, maybe you could arguably say that's a worse record than this. I don't know. I mean, I have to go song by song. I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you know? So, but yeah, that's my... I opinion. think in, K- in Kiss Circles, Asylum has come up for uh, re-evaluation as of late. Yeah. It's, the esteem in that record is, is climbing. Maybe that's just the nostalgia. Just well... <laughs> the natural course of nostalgia. Has Who's been on the Kiss Cruise here? I think, uh, Ron, did you say? Yeah. Right, so did you ever see when Bruce Kulick has done any of the, the shows of his band? No, I wasn't. I only went to the first Kiss Cruise, but I did watch oh. the videos of uh, Bruce and his brother, rest yeah. in peace. Amazing. Like, why doesn't Kiss do that one time for, for us, you know? So, so my point being, is like, when they did Burn, Bitch, Burn, I was like, <laughs> man, this is the fucking greatest song ever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, when you heard it live, because you never it's heard it before, song. all of a sudden, it, it's, it's got this different perspective, a trial by fire or something like that. It definitely yeah. has a different perspective. And maybe it's that thing you're in the element of the crowd and you're hearing something, you know, but it actually did sound really good with a really good band. And maybe without some of the production or you can make it mature a little bit more, however, with modern day, whatever. But yeah, some of those songs, I think maybe if they were re-recorded, would actually be better. I don't know. That band that Bruce put together was amazing. The yeah. singer sounded just like uh, Paul when he was uh, doing his oh, parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean they they were they sounded like as tight as the record. I mean it was, I was shocked how, how great it was. And yeah, those guys are fucking top notch yeah. pros, you know, like they're yeah. not they're not fucking around. Yeah, they well, don't make mistakes like the Kulik brothers. Like they're not gonna hit any bad notes <laughs> and shit. Like, yeah, it's true. You know? All right, guys. So we have a little bit of time left. Why don't we talk about the album production itself? So, as we've mentioned, this was produced and recorded by Bob Ezrin, and it was coming off the huge success of The Wall. This was the second album, Kiss and Bob Ezrin worked on together. So, you know, and after this one, they didn't really want to work with him again for a little while until 92's Revenge. So what do you guys think about the album production itself? And we'll start with Ron. I mean, it's fair for a Kiss record. You know, the production, I've, it, it's like I said, it doesn't sound like a Kiss record. It, when you first put it on from fanfare, into you know like that whole broadway-ish sound it doesn't sound like a kiss record but as far as the production goes i mean it sounds it's a good sounding record i don't i don't i don't hear too many flaws the songs that sound like kiss truly do shine through and do sound like kiss but you know the theatrical parts are just a little too empty a little bit you know like they maybe should have been even more strings or, or a little more orchestration behind them for the most part, the Kiss songs that, that rock sound like Kiss songs. And it's classic Ezrin, you know? Uh-huh. I feel it was classic Ezrin sound. And Mike, what about you? I think the production is fine. It kind of, I mean, it just, it sounds like, you know, like a, a, 
a Casablanca 1981 record. I mean, you know, it's not like... It doesn't sound like The Wall, though. I mean, let's be honest. The, the Wall, it's, it's not as big as The Wall, if that's what they were shooting for. But overall, no. I mean, it, I, there's nothing that I would, you know, redo, so to speak. And I don't think a remix or remaster would change much of the record. I think it's, you know, it's fine. Joe, what about you? I think it sounds great. You know, I was listening to, to it today in the headphones. I thought maybe the drums are a little low in the mix. I don't it's know if that's... That's just my headphones. I mean, but um, that that was the only thing I thought consistently throughout that the drums seem a little buried. I do think in certain parts, especially kind of like in Paul Solo for um, World Without Heroes, I think there's a couple specific solos where it sounds just like the wall. It sounds like it sounds like David Gilmore. It sounds like they were trying to go for that slow, fluid David Gilmore-esque type, you know, lead, and the drums are just kind of like. Some, you know, plotting behind, you know, I, I, I felt that a couple of times. It sounded like they were trying to, you know, get pull some of that mojo from uh, Bob Ezrin. Yeah, I personally would have liked like a stronger snare drum, similar to like In the Flesh on Pink Floyd The Wall. Something like that on a Kiss record mm. sounded incredible. So Tommy, what about you? What I mean, you-, you know, to jump on that producer, you know, even though he's the same producer, the, the band makes the big difference between The Wall in this album. So I don't know how much of Ezrin, how much he could get credit for the wall. You know what I mean? Like that's fucking those guys. That's Roger Waters and Gilmore doing what they do with Ezrin involved. Whereas this, you know, Ezrin's known to be kind of like this, this tough kind of taskmaster. But at this point, he's like, you know, in the throes of cocaine addiction and whatnot. His power as a producer might have been a little lessened if you compare it to the wall. But I think band-wise, the stuff that's like rock and roll on this album, guitars, drums, bass, sounds really good. I don't like the fucking way the strings sound and shit. And I, and I like string stuff. It's not that I, I don't like that kind of stuff. I do. You know, most of, the, most of the fucking bands I listen to have some strings at some point. That stuff to me just sounds shitty, schmaltzy, not great. But it could just be the way they wrote it or the way they recorded it. It just doesn't, I don't like that stuff on this album. Anyway, but vocal-wise, drums, guitar, bass, I think that stuff sounds really good. I think the guitars sound nice and heavy, you know, dirty. Even, like, when there's a little acoustic guitar in there, like, on the, uh, on the Ace song, it sounds really cool mixed in with everything. I think all that stuff sounds good. Let's go to my brother Vincent. So, Vincent, what's your thoughts on the album production? I was just imagining the chorus on The Oath with the production of the double bass on And Justice For All, what that would sound like. Can you imagine that? Because it's kind of the, the double bass in there. You kind of hear it, but it's like it's kind of like Kiss wanted to put it in there, but they didn't really want you to know. Like, wait, is Chris playing on this record? You know what I mean, or whatever it is, you know. But that's why I said the drums are low on this record. Yeah, yeah. But I just wish like that would that song. I would love to hear with those drums sounding bigger and the kick drums really hearing that. Pete, also that the snare drum in, in a World Without Heroes, it, it takes, I know it doesn't have the sound of the wall, but there's there's certain song on the wall, maybe songs on the wall, where that snare drum sounds almost like the same treatment. Oh, I agree. Would, yeah. It's I like agree. sort of, yeah, it's like they, Bob was like, all right, we're going to use this snare, we're going to use this sound, but you're not Pink Floyd, so it's not going to be exactly it. And plus, didn't for the Pink Floyd record, they had a lot of session drummers on that record too? I'm pretty sure Nick Mason didn't play on that entire thing. So, oh wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah, I heard, I've like, heard, even, like Jeff I've heard it was drum machine. 
Is that true? I heard it was drum machines. No, I don't. I don't think drum machines were that advanced at that point to sound that good. Yeah. Like clearly, like if you listen to Pyromania now, although as a kid you never knew that was a drum machine, and now to find out like that whole fucking record is is a drum machine, it's just crazy. But yeah, but I, you know, overall, I I, I wish I think the drums, if they were maybe a little bit more upfront, I would have liked the record. But overall, it's a bit of a dark sounding record. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, you compare that and then you think of like Crazy Nights. You know, it's like man, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> up the sides of the scale, but it doesn't deter listening for me at all the record. So I, I think, you know, I think it's cool. To, to talk about the drums a little bit, didn't Eric Carr not play on this album? Didn't he only play on like uh, overdubs or something or on the one song? No, he only didn't like play that? on the, the, uh, the story is he didn't play on I because uh, Bob was looking for like the shuffle feel that it has. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, I guess uh, Eric just wasn't so getting it. So he played on everything but one song? See, I thought it was the reverse. No, no. No, just one song. That's what I heard as well. And Schwartzberg played on Gene Simmons' solo album, I think, on a, a bunch of tunes. And he did some overdubs, some drum overdubs or fills Animalize. on, on Animalize. Yeah. yeah, which I, I still, to this day, don't understand. Yeah. You know. Like, did he do the intro to get all you can take? And then that was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Eric couldn't have thought of that? I don't know. That's yeah. And it's odd, drumming. If, you, if you watch the footage of Kiss on Fridays, which, you know, if you've never seen any of that footage before, I would definitely recommend it to, yeah. to you guys and to anybody. Yeah, you, watch, you watch Eric Carr play the song and you see he's pretty capable of playing it. So you, you kind of scratch your head wondering, you know, was Ezrin just being a little too picky? All you do is pick, 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 pick. <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> so he I just think... had to have that feel that he was hearing in his head. Well, I think it's one of those things like, and you know, with any record, you bring somebody in who's, who's really good at something, and maybe on the onset, maybe Eric just didn't have the feel. But then once it's on record, he probably, uh, knowing him, he probably like practiced the hell out of that song. Yeah. So, you know, to make, so yeah, I don't think it's that he didn't have the ability, but maybe on the onset, he just didn't, wasn't able to translate that to a record, you know? So. Have you guys watched that documentary about Eric Carr? Just like um, the story, no. the Eric Carr story, Tale of the Fox. Yeah, I yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. what it's called. It's Years ago, yeah, it's, it's great. The father, <laughs> like the the conversations with the father. So my son says to me, "I want to buy drums." So I says to him, "All right, save your money." So he says to me, "But I can't." You know? <laughs> but I says to him, and it's just it's amazing, just amazing. Yeah. Can we talk about one thing before we end this? I want to talk about one thing since we just talked about Fridays, like seeing Fridays and all that. Let's talk about these costumes. Oh, yeah. How did we not mention the okay. headband on Paul Stanley? Let, yes, let's talk about Paul Stanley on Fridays with no shirt, looking like Prince. Uh, that's uh, the first, when, he, when they came to the third song, he had a shirt up. I was like, what the fuck is Prince doing with Kiss? And there was, it was Paul Stanley. But I must say, Ace Fraley's costume, fan, mwah, fantastic, chef's kiss. Yeah, Ace Fraley's oh, costume. Cool. Oh, I love it. I love it. He should have kept that costume like for the Ace's rest of his life. Yeah, I don't like and Ace's short hair. It was short hair. Work on any of them. They all cut their hair. Yeah, Gene and, looked weird with the short hair, with the with the demon face. It just looked weird. Yeah, I like the, the, the minimalist Gene had the, that early '80s, you know, fracking. Yeah. <laughs> it's the almost '70s, but it's the '80s, but it's not the '80s. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Like we're yeah. we're making a step to, towards a new thing, but we just don't know what the new thing is yet. You know. <laughs> but I, I do like the minimalism, the minimalist costumes. I think they're cool. They were cool, yeah, still... and the and the thing that kind of like threw me off, like when you see them singing these songs, 
with as the star child and the demon and the cat you know the fox and the star man whatever it just doesn't fit you know it just doesn't like you you think of kiss you think of them singing about the dicks and and love guns <laughs> and you know like blowing singing shit about up and, <laughs> and you see it's true it's mostly yeah, what they dick. sing about is their dicks and then you see them doing these weird songs on Fridays and like Paul's eye makeup is like weird. It's like, doesn't look like a star. It's like, if you'll watch it again, like the band is covering the like top it, of his yeah, head. Yeah, didn't finish it or something. The top That's of the weird. star is like shifted over yeah, like, yeah. so that you could see it, you know, because he doesn't have his hair in front of his face. It's, uh, okay. It's so so he altered it to fit the hair basically. Yeah. And the head. Right. What's worse, but what's worse, the, Kiss at that time singing those songs with that makeup. Or again, I'm going to pick up the fucking asylum, you know, with those when they had the glam makeup where Gene looked like a, you know, a trans oh, no. or whatever. Gene, looking like my, Gene <laughs> you know looks I mean? like somebody's like, aunt. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean still. You know, and Gene. Transtestacles. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah that, that <laughs> looks. stone house coat. Those ladies looks. stone house coat. 80s looks were. Oh, oh, Gene says, I look like B. Arthur. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. But during the animalized period, they looked good. And uh, during Revenge, of course. Like, it went yeah. back to, like, even Crazy Nights, they had kind of a good look. You yeah, know, he, the, he so went to bad. the leather jacket and, yeah. you know. Yeah. It wasn't so offensive in terms of how it's aged, no. you know? It's yeah. how but they I, look, not the album. <laughs> but I do like the elder costumes. I do like the, I do like yeah. Aces in particular. Aces is cool, yeah. Aces cool. is very cool. Lightning bolt down his leg. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so cool. Tight right. against the balls in the area. Nice. <laughs> and they weren't singing about their balls. I'll, I'll just, just quickly say, because we're going to get to the album eventually, but you know, I have a little more of a sentimental spot for Asylum. I think my brother understands why. It's the very first Kiss album that was new at the time that was ever bought for me. So I have a little more of a, a sentimental... I met Gene and Bruce. I met Gene and Bruce outside Electric Ladyland uh, one time. Me and my friend Charlie Bagarosa, rest cool. in peace. We oh, used yeah. to go shopping around uh, around Eighth Street. 8th. Like on Saturdays, we would take the train to the village and just do all the record stores. Yeah. And two dudes stand there in front of Electric Ladyland, giant. You know, I was like, there they. Are. I was like, I was like, how was that, Paul Stanley? We were like goofing, and we turned around. It was actually uh, Gene and Bruce. Yeah, and we went over and shook their hands and talked to them for a while. It was very cool. They very were cool. cool they were nice. Yeah, very nice guys. Very oh, nice yeah, guys. Cool. And then infamously, I don't know if you guys know this, the, it, it, the entrance to Electric Ladyland has a camera right here. Yeah, yeah. And there's a piece of like plexiglass covering that camera. There was a Paul Stanley autograph on that plexiglass. Oh, wow. For years and years and years and years. And I would always like walk by and I'd always look at it and I'd be like, one of these days I'm just going to pop it. And I'm just gonna grab it. And um, someone it, else did it. Someone else, I, I or that they like took it apart and remodeled it, whatever. But yeah, that was gone. So I guess they did that all during that time, you know. That's cool. Asylum. Cool. Yeah, definitely interesting. Good times. So before we close, I just want to get into some of my personal nostalgia about music from the Elder, and uh, just have to say shout out to Brian Yerkins, who gave my brother his first vinyl copy because. By that, I was able to hear the album for the very first time. And as I mentioned, my brother recorded it onto a blank tape for me. I'm pretty sure it was a, a TDK 60-minute tape, one of those. A chiff late... tape, not a Sony <laughs> no, chiff tape. No, it wasn't the Sony chiff tapes. It was one of those TDK D60 cassettes, blank tape. Red ones, they were red, right? yeah. No, it was the, and it was the, um, it was the gray shell with, with the label on it, on the oh, yeah. sides. Oh, yeah. okay. I remember those, that. Those variations. 
And so you recorded that vinyl record onto that tape for me. And I still remember this to this day because I'm always going to attach the friggin' Statue of Liberty to music from the elder. <laughs> because when you made that the memory he has, the memory he has is unbelievable. Go ahead, let me hear this one. <laughs> Why we call him Babar? It's like it's fucking incredible. Go ahead, let me hear this one. So you had made me that tape, and probably like a day or two after, I'm going to say probably the day after, this was when I was in uh, St. Francis Cabrini, so I was probably in like the sixth grade, I want to say, sixth or seventh grade. And uh, we took a trip to the Statue of Liberty. And the reason being is, you know, I was in Catholic school, as you know, and so I was one of the altar boys for a while for a few years you know it was one of the things where hey get out of class welcome to the statue of liberty the statue is a gift from french citizens and has come to symbolize hope for naked women everywhere botchy balls <laughs> hey 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 come on hey don't be doing that we went on a trip to go see the statue of liberty and i had that cassette with me on the bus ride and that was like the first time I actually listened to music from the elder was on the bus with a bunch of screaming oh, cool. kids, but I had it like blasting in my headphones. I was just ignoring mostly everybody. I'm sure I talked to a few of my friends, but you know, I was mostly like listening to that record. So like Walkman headphones, the foam yeah. ones that like barely stayed on your head. Orange, the orange ones. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. 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 Flimsy. So everybody could hear it around you. Yeah. <laughs> so to me at that time, and, I'm, and this was probably sometime in 1988, I think seems to line up correctly as far as when this happened. Cause I, I was gone from Cabrini within like a year or so later. So hearing it for the first time back then, and I was around like 11, 12 years old, I didn't have really any concept of, you know, Kiss had done this album that had alienated so many people. I know it was very hard to find at the time. And I, I was aware of that, but to me, it was almost like hearing a, a brand new Kiss album because it was so hard to find. You couldn't just walk in a store and pick it up. You couldn't just ask one of your one of your friends if they had it, or even some of my brother's friends didn't even have it, or our cousins or anything like that. So, mm -hmm. I think some of that probably plays into why I might like the album as much as I do because I do have those nostalgic memories from it from back then. Yeah. But generally, you know, as I have gotten older. I do appreciate the album as a whole, and I do consider it to be one of my top 10 favorites. It's one of my go-to Kiss albums when I want to listen to it. So, you know, the, the, the favorite tracks that you guys had pointed out, I would agree with every single one of them. So that's pretty much my perspective on music from The Elder from how I initially heard it and eventually came to appreciate it. And before we go, I just want to note too, because I think we did mention it, but those who aren't aware, the original track listing was modified after the remasters were released. So that's why when we were discussing before, someone mentioned how the oath was then shifted to later in the album. When the album was originally released and they had submitted it to Casablanca, they pretty much demanded that the oath has to open up this album. Otherwise, you know, people are going to be wondering what the hell did I buy here? Right. <laughs> When you listen to it now in the original track sequence, I personally think it works better. You know, you build up to getting to the oath instead of it being right up in front of your face. Even though, you know, you guys might not like a lot of the songs that are before it, but 
I think it, but it, it does progress in a more it makes sense. flow. Yeah. You know? yeah, the original, uh, the original uh, setup is much better. Yeah, it does. It definitely makes you wonder why they were so hesitant and so afraid. I honestly think they should have just gone for it at the time. I know Kiss promised fans a heavier album, and that's not exactly what they delivered with The Elder, but, you know, who knows? It probably would have fared the same way anyway. Yeah. Probably wouldn't have done well anyway. I just think tastes had moved on. You know, I think my brother is a good example of that when he mentioned bands like The Police. You know, there was just so much other music and other bands coming up. Let's like, hear it for the boy. Yeah, let's hear it. It seems like it was a time the kids just didn't know what to do because yeah, there was yeah. too much going on musically in the world, you know? And then when Creatures came out, they figured this is what we're good at. We're going to stick with this. And, you know, I mean, it just makes sense. But they, they had just come off a tour uh, unmasked. They toured with Iron Maiden. They you would think like they'd that. be like, holy shit, let's yeah. pick up a, a cue they, from these guys, you know? They, you know, kiss man. They, uh, they opened for us. Yeah, they you know, sucked. Kind of, yeah. yeah, but also, do you think Kiss could have pulled off the, to playing the kind of music that Iron Maiden does? Yeah, no. I mean, you, and, you think so? They, they could have done, uh, you know, their own. I think they, they've approached it on some. Yeah, of that's true. That's true. That's true. We should also note too. I think we mentioned it on the Unmasked and Dynasty episode. I know we mentioned that Eric Carr didn't play on Unmasked. And that was Anton Fig, but yes, this was the very first album that featured Eric Carr on drums. Right. And, you know, Tommy mentioned the documentary Tales from the Fox, and Eric was a little hesitant, and he made his feelings known to the rest of the guys in the band. He was pretty much on the side of Ace Frehley as far yeah. as thinking it was a mistake. You know, this isn't what we should be doing, but Eric was a salaried member of the band. He didn't have any say. And Ace was overruled by Gene and Paul, so he essentially had no say anymore. But it, it is kind of a shame. I will say this. It is kind of a shame that they didn't record more of a powerful album like Creatures of the Night first with Eric Carr. But, you know, then we wouldn't have had Creatures of the Night turn out the yeah. way it did. I, I think yeah. there's something to be said for that, too. And then the trajectory of everything that happened afterwards. So... Yeah. You know, it's Kiss. We, would, we, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right, Kiss yep. is such a story band. Like the, This is just part of their fuck up. You know, like, this yeah, yeah. like they, 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 they've had such highs and lows, you know, and this is kind of a low and we're here talking about it. And that's what makes it great, you know. An album like this is what makes Kiss super interesting because they right. have so many weird little moments in their history that you could dive in. Do these, right. like, you know, dive into these rabbit holes of, of weirdness with them. Right. Absolutely. Like the disco. People always say Dynasty is the disco album. That's not true. It had a couple of not disco songs on it. Yeah, but not. the record itself really. is a rock it's and really roll true. record, man. It's it's a good record. I, mean, I would even barely say they, they were disco songs. I mean, obviously. Like was they, had a groove, you. they had a danceable groove. But, yeah. they were, but overall, that record has a lot of rock and tunes on yep. it. Man. Good album. Yeah. It's funny because... Again, I'm going to make a parallel a comparison to something I said earlier. When they came out with Hot in the Shade, which is really a very poppy record, and they had a, a big hit with Forever, right? Yep. And then, uh, then they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go back again, you know, go to a, and they bring in Ezrin again. And who else did they bring in? One of the greatest songs that Kiss has ever done, Unholy, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we all agree on that. And who's the co-writer mm -hmm. on that song? Oh, yeah. 
Vinnie Vincent. You know, and, and that record has, he's, and again, I know that he's had a lot of contribution to that record. It's always, uh, you notice a trend here, like every time Kiss needed that, you know, mm. they threw out that, right. uh, what a, you know, the life preserver, whatever. It's like. All the Kiss chat groups, you see like Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss, you know, like somebody yeah. will always write Vinnie Vincent saved Kiss and then like people will be like, fuck you, no way, yeah, shut yeah, up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true, Vinnie Vincent did save Kiss, he did, he did. Their finest moment without makeup. Did you ever see there was a, a fan like Q&A with Paul and somebody asked him, did Vinnie Vincent save Kiss? Oh boy. <laughs> and he was just like, I forgot what his exact an answer was, but the gist of it was like, get the fuck out of my face. With that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a no. <laughs> Can you guys see this at all? There's the costumes. Yeah. Yeah, the no, costumes. but I, I had a nice picture of uh, Gene's uh, crotch. His uh, uh, his cod piece. Cod piece. <laughs> nice. The cod piece for the. Uh, you can see the prick knife. <laughs> yeah, the cod piece uh, was was uh, was uh, no. prominent. It was very prominent. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at it. It's got a peace yeah. sign on yeah. it. <laughs> That's his piece. It's my piece. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's my piece. Bad those listening to the audio version of the podcast can't see that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys, I, my brother knows the story, whether it's bullshit or not, I don't know, but I was at one of his vault, uh, you know, events. Oh, wow. And it was cool because you, you get your, you know, five, ten minutes with him and he'll sign a couple of things. And you he, bought the box set? I was, I actually went as a, a friend. Okay. He, he could bring one person. Yeah, I did yeah. wind up getting a vault, though, after oh, that. Wow. But, Oof. um, crazy. But, yeah, but this is what you do for this band, you know. That's all it's crazy shit, yeah, you know. He goes, he looks at me, he goes, you know, you're having a good time. I'm my terrible gene voice, but you're having a good time. <laughs> I said, yeah, this, this is great. He puts, it, it was my, it was my Marsha Brady moment. And I'm not a girl. But he puts his hand on my face, like, you know, like this. He yeah. looks at me in the eyes, he takes his glasses off, he goes, if it was, and he literally said it like this. If it wasn't for people like you, I'd be nothing. And right. I was like, Yes, Master Gene. <laughs> no, yeah, I man. Nice believe that he, you know, what I, I mean? he didn't have to do that. Yeah. And he was the coolest. And everything they would always say, oh, Gene's an asshole. Did this? I don't know. In, in the last bunch of years, the way he talks about this country and how thankful he is of, you know, and his relationship, uh, whatever, uh, that, you know, that he had with his mom, and you know how broken up he was about that as an only, you know, basically an only child. And I don't know. I, I've gotten a, a different perspective on the guy. Yeah, he, he is what he is. And he right. never hit it, you know what I mean? Right. This is who I right. am. You either like you or don't. But, yeah. right. but, but I think as yeah. he's gotten older and his perspective on life and what he's thankful for, whatever, you know what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've gotten a different – and I, I, obviously I had that one-to-one -one moment with him. That's cool. So, did you get a boner? I did. I did. Right. I, did. I, sure. I, I asked I him for he's... Kleenex afterwards, but, you know. <laughs> I thought he was going to put his hand on your, your face and say – if it wasn't for laws. <laughs> I think what it is, the bike. I think what is, is that he's got soft, you know? I think, I think just in his older age, he's starting to realize, like, what's important and what's not, you know? When he's a young man, you know, he likes to, you know, have sex with multiple, you know, he had his, he had his photo album of, like, all these women that he fucked and whatnot. I know yeah. I met him a couple of times, like you, Vinny, and he's always been really nice. Like, yeah, he's yeah. always been, like, it, like, shakes your hand, you know? Yeah. He, yeah. he wants to sign something. Like, he's like, give me something to sign, you know? He's a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I can understand. Back in the 70s and 80s, he was probably despicable to women, you know? I mean, he well, still might be. I mean, I mean, who wasn't well, at puts, that time? 
Right. Or I he mean, puts it up. Or he puts up the front, you know, because he has to have that rock and roll action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Well, you remember, he's going from Diana Ross to, you know, Cher to this one, you know, the, the Hollywood life. Now, now he wants to be in movies. It was all part of, like, the thing he was involved in. You know? yeah, right. Like Ron right. said, the act, part of the act. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was part of the act. Yeah, the, the yeah, two yeah. times I met Gene, the first being when he was at a the random comic and horror movie convention across the street from MSG. I forget which venue it was held at. I found out he was going to appear <laughs> in this thing, and I went there, and this was about a year or so before the movie Detroit Rock City was released. And so he was there to actually discuss the production of that movie, that it was going to be going into production. So I bought this script, which I actually still have, and afterwards, you know, they said, you can line up and meet Gene and he'll sign anything you want. And I also bought a promotional photo with the, the script. So Gene actually signed my photo and he signed my script. And, you know, just like the second time when I met him a few years later for the Kiss box set release in 2001 at Tower Records, you know, he shakes your hand, he looks you right in the eye and he says, you know, thank you. And very, 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 very kind. Like he actually cares that you're in front of him. Where, you know, when I met Paul, you know, he was like, yeah, I shook your hand, but didn't really say very much. And that's right. not slight on Paul. I just think that they, they handle the fans a little bit differently as far as uh, personal meet and greets. But I, yeah, I took away from that thinking, you know, Gene's pretty decent when it comes to meeting fans and looking them in the eye and not being dismissive. So I always took that away from those experiences. So yeah. you guys were mentioning that, I wanted to point that out. No matter how good that experience was with Gene, nothing will top my ace experience when I did the um, uh, KISS convention. Where, not KISS convention. Yeah, I think it was convention in Indiana. And I got to finally meet him and take a picture with him. And you go into the room. And literally as I'm putting my arm around him, he farts. <laughs> oh, oh my God, that's hilarious. He farts. And he, goes, and he does that, ha, air biscuit. You know what I mean? Good. <laughs> and I mean, Brother. and now I'm going to take this picture, you know, and I'm just thinking, I finally get to meet Ace Frehley and he farts while I got my arm around him. But, basically, but it was just he, like a, he farted on you. Yeah, he basically did, you know. Space nothing farts. will ever top that. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I was going to say before, when you met Gene and, you know, he, and he touched your face and he had that nice message for you, I thought maybe you were like, I'm never going to wash my face again. Oh, that's what I did. That's <laughs> what I did. Now with adult. Ace, and now with Ace, it's like, who, who, who would you say? You're never going to forget the smell of his party. <laughs> never going to wash my nostrils again. <laughs> you better wash your face, kid. I just might have uh, up that lady's ass. Great. Well, I think on that note, we can wrap this up. And cool. just want to thank you guys again for another great discussion. And next one coming up for part six of the Kiss Roundtable discussion is going to be about Killers, the compilation that was released before Creatures of the Night in 1982, which featured four new tracks that were recorded after the aftermath of The Elder. And then, of course, Creatures of the Night would then be recorded and released in late 1982. So that is going to be our next subject for the KISS Roundtable. So guys, once again, thank you for joining me here for another great discussion. Thanks, Pete. Ben, thank, thank you. you ben, thank you for joining us for the very first time. And I'm going to invite you to future discussions and yeah thank you and that's gonna be it all right now that the discussion has been completed 
let's go to the music that's going to be featured in this episode. And it's all going to be taken from my original US final copy, the one that I showed earlier in the introduction that includes the press release, which has been my primary play copy. And the songs that were chosen as our favorites are going to go down the line like this. So the set is going to begin with The Oath, and then followed by Only You, followed by Under the Rose, and then we're going to flip over to side B and begin with A World Without Heroes. And then I'm going to add in the instrumental, Escape from the Island, as it's always been a favorite of mine ever since I first heard the album. And then the set is going to close with I. So let's get to that right now.
like a never-ending race It's like a time without a place A pointless thing devoid of grace Where you don't know what you're after
That's that. So I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation with the KISS Roundtable team. It's always fun for me to get together with the guys and discuss my all-time favorite band. So I hope that comes across in these episodes. And if you're a KISS fan for many years, only just a few years, and you're tuning into this podcast maybe for the first time, or you've been along for the ride for the first four parts, I hope all of you have been enjoying our discussions and our opinions, even if you haven't agreed with us necessarily all the time, but that's what makes us KISS fans and just fans of rock music and music in general. So I hope you'll join us for the remaining KISS roundtable discussions. So before I go, I just want to make sure that I go ahead and plug our shows here at cnjradio.com. If you're an old school wrestling fan of the WWF, WCW, NWA, maybe the AWA, then the Wrestling House Show is for you. They talk about old pay-per-views or they talk about Saturday night's main event. They go through individual episodes and they just discuss the matches and other parts of the show. It's always a very entertaining show. So wrestling fans should definitely tune into that. And there is also Joey's main show, Rock Strikes 10, which if you're a fan of rock and heavy metal music and anything around the genre of rock, pop rock, classic rock, Joey's got the show for you. So I would definitely recommend checking out Rock Strikes 10. If you have never heard the show, definitely check it out here at cnjradio.com. And we have the Synaptic Empire with Randy Brown, a true alternative, which is definitely another show that I recommend you check out. And we also have Talking Rock, which is hosted by Mark Striegel, who many may know from the Talking Metal podcast, along with Joey from the Rock Strikes 10 podcast. So definitely another great show that I can highly recommend checking out if you're a fan of all things rock. And then there is The Last Theater, which is a podcast mostly focused on the horror movie genre. So any of you horror movie fans out there will definitely want to check that show out. And so that's going to wrap it up here for us here at the I Am Vinyl podcast for this latest episode. I thank you all for tuning in, whether it's at cnjradio.com or if you're watching us on YouTube. But if you're watching us on YouTube, definitely check out the audio podcast on cnjradio.com because we can play music on that one, whereas we cannot play any music on YouTube. So thank you all once again for tuning in. And we'll see you next time right here at cnjradio.com.